Good morning, Church of Newtown Road. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you have had a wonderful week and are ready to study God's Word together, to worship Him together. And uh, although we can't be together uh, physically, uh, we hope that you and your family are with us and engaged in a part of what God's doing in and through the Church at Newtown Road. My name is Tyler. I am the Youth and Families Pastor here at Um, our church. And so I just want to welcome you this morning, and we're glad that you've decided to join us. Uh, And if you are a visitor or guest, uh, were invited or happened to stumble across our Facebook page and YouTube channel this morning, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. But if you can, like, go down to the comments and fill out a communication card, we would love to know what families are with us today and, and who all is here. And so if you are a first-time guest or if you have been here for years and years, we'd love for you uh, to click on that communication card and let us know you're here. Um, and that's a way that we can keep uh, informing you and praying for you and seeing who's a part of our church service this morning. And I've got a couple announcements and things happening uh, around our ministry. And so I just want to go over a couple of them. And the first one is this. Miss Heather is doing an incredible job, her and her team, of keeping our kids and their families engaged um, and being a part of Newtown Kids. And so one of the ways she does that is through our Newtown Kids YouTube page. And so if you haven't uh, subscribed to that or watched the videos that she puts out on Sunday mornings, go and watch that. That's about the Gospel Project, and it introduces the lesson for our kids for the day. And so we would love for you to watch that with your family, have your kids participate in that. And those videos are a wonderful way to stay uh, connected to the Gospel Project in our kids' ministry. And then we have other things happening throughout the week for families. Our family devotion on Wednesday night at 6.30. We invite you to join us for that on our church's Facebook page. And then our family challenge Friday, every Friday at 4 o'clock. And so if you haven't uploaded your picture or video for the challenge that ends tonight at midnight, go for it. Um, You can upload that on your social media accounts and tag uh, family challenge Friday. We will see it. And we want you to be a part of that. So thanks for those who have been involved in doing that. And church, I want to say thank you uh, for your continued giving in multiple areas. We have a bin outside of the office for food pantries in the area. And we want to be a good neighbor and love our neighbors. And so if you can continue to bring items to go in that bin to be distributed to food pantries, we would love it. And they would love it. Um, and we can say thank you to them in that way. Uh, and then... We want to say thank you for uh, continued faithfulness in giving. Your tithes and offerings are such a blessing to us and glorifying God and continuing to honor him in our giving. And so uh, if you uh, want to give, you can go to our website and give that way, or you can go right on the church app and give that way. But just a reminder that um, your faithful giving uh, has been incredible. And, we, and, and keep it up, church. You're doing a great job. And now I'm going to introduce Pastor Matt this morning. He's going to come and we're going to continue to worship together through God's Word. Pastor Matt, come on. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Good morning there, Newtown Road and friends and family from afar. Glad you could join us this morning. I wanted to offer you a quick update to tag along with what Tyler was talking about this morning. I hope you remember our 20 challenge that at the beginning of this year, we kicked off with a challenge and we we encouraged everybody in our church to spend 20 minutes a day in prayer and Bible study to give $20 extra a month so that we could give $20,000 away in our community 
community and to pray for and engage 20 people, inviting them to come and see what our church and our faith is all about. Little did we know that a pandemic would hit us, but because of your faithful giving to that 20 fund, we've been able to respond pretty quickly to some local needs. And I just wanted to update you guys to let you know what we've been able to be part of in the last few weeks. So far, we've sent $1,000 to the shelters of Saratoga to help them with their feeding efforts. We've sent $500 to the Capital City Rescue Mission to help them. We've sent $500 to the Schuyler Ridge Nursing Home to be a blessing to those on the front line there. We've given close to $800 in relief gifts to people right here in our congregation. And just this past week, we were able to send $750 to the Mechanicville Community Center to help them with their efforts to keep the people of Mechanicville well-fed and well-resourced during this time. Guys, I cannot tell you how proud of you I am. What a blessing to be able to respond so quickly to the needs in our community, to be good neighbors, to serve those who need it, and and to know that because of your faithfulness to give sacrificially, we have a pool of funds available to do that. So, quick reminder, if you want to give to that 20 fund, just select that that line from the drop-down menu while giving on our app or on our website, or you could just write 20 fund in the memo of your check um, and let us know that way. But if you're part of our congregation and you find yourself in a time of need during this crisis, please let us know about those needs. If possible, we want to help. One thing I've always loved about our church is the way that we are a family and we act that way. We take care of one another. So if you find yourself in need, please let us know. And if if it's possible, we would love to be able to help. Another quick note this morning for us all, as this is like week 10 or something like that, sitting around our living rooms, uh, watching church in our pajamas. Um, As the national regional conversation has shifted recently towards reopening businesses and in the wake of this pandemic, the question keeps coming up to me and our leadership team, when will the church reopen again? And that is an amazing question. And I wish I had a firm answer for you today, but I don't. Uh, here's, here's what I can tell you. We are daily reviewing the most current guidelines and information that's available. Our staff and our elders are working diligently to come up with a reasonable plan for how our church can reopen when it's appropriate and the time dictates. Whatever decisions we make, please know that we are prioritizing the health and safety of our congregation and community. And we're seeking God's wisdom and discernment as we try to map out uh, that path forward. And as soon as we have something that is firm, that we're comfortable sharing, you will be the first to know. Until then, we appreciate your prayers and your patience uh, during this trying time. I can tell you nothing has caused uh, me personally uh, more, more strain than trying to figure out when will be appropriate. We've been reading and researching and praying and doing everything we can to stay on top of the most current information. We're working hard to make that plan uh, reasonable and appropriate. As soon as we have something, we'll let you know, I promise. All right, so today, for our teaching time, we're going to be plugging along with our series in Mark's Gospel. The first seven chapters of this book have been a whirlwind for us of miraculous healings and deliverance, displays of incredible power, a message that brings hope and life to its hearers. 
The first seven chapters seem to be united in a certain way as, as they seem to be in each little story, each vignette that we read. They seem to all tie together asking this one central question. The question that the disciples were asking, the question the Pharisees had marveled at, and that question is this, what manner of man is this? The teaching of Jesus contained authority and his word brought healing. He fed thousands with loaves and fish. He raised the dead. He walked on water. He controlled the wind and the waves. He even, like we saw last week, makes the deaf to speak and the blind to see, or the deaf to hear, the blind to see, and the mute to speak. Who is this Jesus? And spoiler alert, Mark is going to reach a climactic moment next week in chapter 8, verse 27, with Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. Today, though, we're going to be studying a passage that will sound almost exactly like the passage we read a few weeks ago. Sometimes we need to have the important things repeated to us a time or two in order to really understand them. And apparently, we're not alone in all of that. So let's go to Mark chapter 8 today. We're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to read all the way to verse 21. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Now the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we find ourselves like these disciples sometimes, reading and seeing and hearing, but not quite perceiving what it is that we're supposed to hear. Lord, sometimes we don't quite understand. 
Lord, I pray that today, in your mercy and in your grace, you would open our eyes and our hearts to to see and to receive the truth of your word. God, help us as your church, as we are scattered around this region, help us to be united in spirit today under the lordship of Christ through the word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd guide me as I speak and guide our, our listeners as they hear and be present among us as we study your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I've, I've titled this sermon today, Take Two, because what happens here today with the feeding of the 4,000 is so much like the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6. And so the first point of our outline today, if, if I've arranged my thoughts under the heading Deja Vu, because the first thing we notice as we read through this passage is how closely it matches that previous story. In fact, at first glance, you might wonder if you've picked up reading in the wrong chapter. But indeed, this is the right place, and Mark records for us here another miraculous healing. And a need presents itself. There's a great crowd. We're told there's 4,000 of them total. And they have been there now for three days. And they need some food. They're getting hungry. And once again, when Jesus sees the needs of the crowd, he shows compassion towards them. He knows they're hungry. He knows they've come a long way. He knows that they wouldn't be able to make it home. So he wants to feed them. And the disciples ask him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? They even use the same word that they used to describe the landscape in chapter 6. What do you think was going through their minds when they did this? I wonder who it was that actually asked the question. And as he got it out there, as he, as, as he heard the words of his own question, how can we feed these people here in this desolate place? I wonder if the rest of them were like, oh, here we go again. We know how we're going to feed him. We know how we're going to feed them. He's done this before. Were any of them, were any of them at all thinking about the last time when they were faced with a crowd of thousands and no food? I wonder. We're told in chapter 6 that immediately after that, they were still, uh, they, were st- they didn't understand about the loaves and the fish. But here we go again, same predicament. So Jesus, who is way more compassionate than I am, I mean, I would have sighed deeply at them and huffed and been frustrated, but he just looked at them and said, and how many loaves do you have? They, they do a quick count and they say, we have seven. So, so they didn't have to go find them from some boy and steal his lunch this time. No, they, they had seven loaves. And Jesus told them to sit on the ground. The last time we looked at this, they were sitting on the green grass. Here they are sitting in more of a desolate place. Uh, could indicate it's a different time of year. And Jesus takes the bread, the seven loaves, and he gives thanks. And he breaks the bread and he hands it to the disciples. And he says, I want you to share it and distribute it to the people. And he did. And then he took a few fish. We're not told how many, but a few fish, small fish. And he does the same thing. He thanks God for them. He, he, he hands them and distributes them and tells them to take them to the people. And the Bible says in verse 8 that the crowd was satisfied. That they, all of them, ate and were satisfied. They had their fill. And when they were finished, this time, they had seven baskets full left over. Now this... This sounds very familiar. As soon as it's done, he gets in the boat with the disciples and they're ready to go. This is almost exactly what happened in chapter 6. Now, now there are some significant differences that we could point out. 
This current location is predominantly a Gentile territory. Here the crowd was with him for three days, not just one. Here he uses the disciples' stash of bread and fish, and the numbers were different. Here he's got seven loaves and a few small fish. Here the crowd sits on the ground, not on the green grass. And there were seven, not twelve baskets left over. But there is a whole lot that is also similar. A hungry crowd listening to Jesus' teachings. A lack of resources to feed them. Jesus shows compassion to meet their need. He brings a miracle of healing and they are more than satisfied. They eat their fill and there's leftovers. Okay, so I want you to hold on to that. We'll come back to that soon. And then, then the disciples come and they say, hey, we want a sign. So the, this portion of our, of our notes, I, I've just lumped my thoughts together under the heading, give us a sign. Almost on cue, the Pharisees stir up trouble. They, they are truly the villains in this story. And they come and they argue with Jesus and they demand from him a sign. Show us something. And, and, and as we read this, we need, to, we need to work to remember the context of what's going on here. They are not asking Jesus for a sign in order to confirm their faith. They're asking for the sign to test him. From the beginning, these religious leaders have been looking for ways to trap Jesus, to ensnare him, to catch him in some violation of the law in order to destroy him. So here they are wanting a sign. They, come on, Jesus, now show us something of yourself. And in verse 12, Jesus sighs deeply. He sighs deeply. Not, not entirely out of frustration, I don't think. But maybe out of a deep level of disappointment. These people are so close and so far away. They had the law and the prophets. They studied Moses and they knew the commandments. And yet still they're so far away from the truth of the gospel. And he sighs deeply. And he says to them, you get no sign. This generation. Why does this generation always want a sign? Why does this generation of Jewish followers always want some miraculous display of power? No, you, you get no sign. Why not? Why doesn't Jesus give them a sign? Is it because he's not compassionate? Well, of course not. Is it because he's trying to conceal his identity? Well, not at all. He's doing a pretty bad job of that if that's his goal. It's because Jesus knew their hearts and knew that they were not seeking the truth of Christ's identity. They came to prove a point. They came to advance their agenda. They came to catch Jesus in a violation. But because they did not come with faith, their request was rejected. And let's be honest, they had already seen some signs, hadn't they? And those signs didn't change their opinion. In fact, Jesus said as much in Luke's gospel. Just a couple weeks ago, I was reading along with our Newtown 20 reading program. And I saw that passage in Luke where Jesus said that if they would not listen to Moses and the prophets, then he wasn't able to get through to them either. And he goes on to say, even if somebody was raised from the dead, they wouldn't believe it. Even if someone were to come back from the dead, they wouldn't believe it. In one of the other Gospels, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you get no sign except the sign of Jonah. The same thing, the resurrection. And even in his resurrected state, they didn't believe him. 
They get no sign. They wouldn't believe it even if they saw it. And they had already seen a host of miraculous signs. And then Jesus issues a warning. A warning is our third heading this morning. Verse 14, he's back in the boat again with the disciples. And the disciples realize that they made a mistake. Somebody, we're not sure who it was, but it was somebody's job to bring the bread. And somebody forgot to bring the bread. So they realize as they're trying to eat a snack out on the boat that they only have one loaf of bread with them. And they begin discussing that with each other. Jesus seizes the opportunity, like he normally does, to use this conversation as a powerful teaching moment. And rather than really talk about who forgot to bring the, the bread, he addresses something much more significant. Remember, he's just on the heels of feeding the thousands... And then a confrontation with the Pharisees. And he says to them, listen guys, be cautious. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The leaven, what, what are we talking about? Leaven, leaven is yeast that causes the bread to rise. But he's not really talking about bread. R.C. Sproul noted in his commentary that leaven, of course, refers to the yeast that is added to bread dough. The metaphor, therefore, suggests a small amount of a given substance that can radically alter anything into which it is mixed. In the New Testament, almost every time that leaven is mentioned, the context is negative. It is seen as an influence that corrupts and destroys. Leaven is associated with pride in 1 Corinthians 5.6, with malice and wickedness in 1 Corinthians 5.8, with false teaching on circumcision in Galatians 5.9. Thus, Jesus is saying, watch out for the false doctrine. Watch out for hypocrisy. Watch out for unbelief. You see, there is a potential here for great danger for the disciples. They face the very real possibility of falling into a similar trap to the Pharisees and Herod. Now, Alistair Begg noted in his treatment of this passage that the Pharisees' leaven was hypocrisy and Herod's leaven was hostility, but both were driven by a heart of unbelief and a posture of faithlessness. It would appear that this is a genuine danger for the disciples. Jesus warns them. Be careful. Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Be careful of the damaging effects of unbelief and hostility to the things of God. And almost as if they missed the point entirely, the disciples go back to their conversation about the bread. And they say, do you think, you think he said that because we're talking about the bread? And Jesus not in exasperation, but, but to clarify his point, says, why are you talking about the bread? Don't you understand? Do you not perceive? Here's what he's asking. Has unbelief impaired your faculties too? Are your hearts hardened as well by the leaven of unbelief? Don't you remember? Have you already been taken captive by the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? And then he does a review with them. He said, guys, I fed 5,000 men. You were there. How much was left? And they say, well, well, 12 baskets were left. 
And he says, guys, I just fed 4,000 people. You distributed the food. You collected it. How much was left? And they said, seven baskets. And he says, do you still not understand? Well, the answer is clear. No, they don't. The disciples had heard his teaching with their ears and yet had not understood with their hearts that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. Like R.C. Sproul notes, basically their view of him was as faulty as that of the Pharisees. Do you hear that? The way the disciples were thinking about Jesus was as faulty, as twisted, as as untrue as the way the Pharisees were thinking about him. And with that question, do you not yet understand? With that question, our passage today closes. With all that you've seen, with all that I've done, you still don't get it? No, they don't. They don't get it. They still don't quite understand. So what? What does all of that mean? Newtown Road, listen, there is such immense value in studying the Bible the way we do here. In moving methodically through books of the Bible, verses by verse and chapter by chapter, passage by passage. Because in that journey through those books, we intentionally stop at each passage. And we look both at what the passage says, but also how it connects to the passages around it and the greater theme and message of the book. And this collection of verses that we looked at today is telling us something for sure. But the full picture of what it's telling us is only coming into view when we compare it and include it in the rest of the passages around it. In fact, we won't even get to the end of its application until next week and we, re- we review those passages for, for that time. All that simply means is that today, the things that we see are not isolated, but they're deeply connected to the things we saw last week and the things we'll see next week too. All right. So what? So what do we see here? One, I think one thing we can notice is once again, we see the compassion of the good shepherd to feed the hungry in the wilderness, in a desolate place, in a place that is barren, when their needs arise, he moves towards them in compassion. I feel like a broken record. I feel like I've said that statement over and over again these last few months. When this good shepherd, Jesus Christ, sees the need of his sheep, he moves towards them in compassion to meet their needs. What an incredible miracle to feed 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish. Something also that I saw in that passage, and not too many of the authors that I read made much of, it, made much of a deal about it. But I noticed that this feeding took place in a predominantly Gentile area. And to me, at least, it was a nice reminder that the message of the gospel is to the Jews first, but also to the Gentiles. That God in his mercy does make provision for his gospel to meet the needs of those outside of Israel. So the first thing we see is compassion from the shepherd. The second thing we can look at is that there is a very serious warning to us here about the leaven of the Pharisees and about the leaven of Herod. The disciples were cautioned against the unbelief of the religious and the hostile. The warning here is that even the smallest amount would have damaging effects on the whole. And we would do well then to follow Jesus' warning here and guard our hearts from that same spirit of unbelief so that we aren't led astray into a life of rebellion against God's word. 
We've all known people who started strong in their faith and today wouldn't even identify as followers of Christ. I have friends who trained for ministry with me and today they wouldn't identify as Christians. In recent days, we've seen celebrity pastors, megachurch pastors and authors recanting their faith. And in each of those situations, I would guess that it began with a seed of unbelief that was allowed to grow and develop. What do we do when we feel the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod? What do we do when we feel the sense of unbelief welling up inside of us? We do what Paul tells us to do. We take captive every thought and bring it under submission to Christ. We stand guard. We, we, we are watchful and careful. And when we notice that our patterns of thinking and the affections of our heart, when we notice that they are out of step with God's desires for us, we repent of sin and trust him and submit ourselves to him fresh and new. There is a warning for us. Newtown Road, guard your hearts. Your hearts are the wellspring of life. Protect ourselves from that spirit of unbelief. But number three, the bigger picture here. Is, is the one that will require next week's passage to be really understood. But here it is. There is a nearly impenetrable barrier that stands between the hearts of men and faith in God. And left to our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own devices, we would never come to the conclusion, to the conclusion on our own that Jesus is the Messiah. The Pharisees, with all their religious background, knew the law and the prophets, but rather than receive Jesus with joy, they sought to kill him. They wanted a sign, they wanted a display of power, but even when faced with the reality of a resurrected Jesus, they still failed to see him for who he was. The crowd who saw the miracles and ate their fill of bread and fish knew him to be a powerful miracle worker, but not the Son of God. And even his own disciples, which is what this passage is really trying to highlight for us, even his own disciples, whom he chose, who he spent so much time with, even they don't quite yet understand what's going on. And what is that telling us? I am so glad you asked that question. It's telling us that the hearts of men are blind and deaf to the things of God. And try as we might, we don't have the power to open them up and to make them see and hear. What is needed for people to see and to hear and understand the identity of Jesus... What is needed is a miracle of God's power that changes them, that softens those hearts, that opens them up. It is not the power that the Jews were seeking. And it wasn't the wisdom that the Greeks were seeking. It was the miracle of new life that God brings through the preaching of Christ crucified. It is the wonder and the power and the mystery of the gospel that opens people's hearts to the reality of Jesus. But the big point is this. That if God isn't at work in the heart of a hearer, faith will not be present in them. Belief in Jesus requires a beautiful work of grace. And as we'll see next week with Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, that knowledge is not something that comes naturally, 
but supernaturally. And here, what we find in Mark chapter 8 is that for seven chapters, Mark has showed us very clearly that Jesus is the Son of God. And over and over again, the disciples and the Pharisees and the crowds have wondered, what manner of man is this? By this point, the disciples especially should have no excuse. They should know exactly who he is. And yet they don't understand. Because to understand who Jesus really is requires a miracle of God's interaction and intervention in our lives. And if you're a Christian today, it is not because in the power of your own wisdom, you surveyed the evidence and made a decision. If you're a Christian, it's because by the power of the Spirit of God, in a time that he saw fit, he opened your eyes and opened your ears and softened your heart and made it alive again. And if you're not a Christian today, if you would say, Matt, I, I, I'm a fan of Jesus, I'm a, I'm a casual observer, but I don't follow him. My question to you today is, what is your heart prompting you to do? Is God calling to you through the message of his gospel that this Jesus of Nazareth is really not just a historical figure, but he is the divine born son of God come on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost? What is God calling you to do? To repent and believe the gospel? Do not turn away from his call. Do not harden your heart as he does that work of grace in you. Do not reject his prompting. Instead, turn to him. Yield yourself to him. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of truth that we read and get to study today. Lord, thank you for the reality that we do not know you apart from a divine work of revelation and quickening. Lord, thank you that in your mercy, you sent somebody our way to preach the gospel so that the veil of our heart would be torn away and that the scales could fall from our eyes and our deaf ears could be unstopped so we might see and hear and worship you as Christ. Lord, I pray for our church family that we would rest in this truth, that we have arrived here at this position of grace because of a work of grace done in our hearts. And Lord, I pray for those who still have not yet seen you for who you are. I pray that by your power, you would take the veil off of their hearts. That by the preaching of your gospel and through the mysterious power that accompanies it, our friends and our loved ones would have their eyes opened and their ears unstopped to the magnificent truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Lord, I pray that you'd make us fruitful in our evangelistic efforts this week and beyond. And we pray for a harvest here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Newtown Road, thank you once again for joining in with us this morning. Again, it is a privilege and an honor and a joy to be able to teach the Bible in your homes the way we've been doing this. Uh, we hope to see you again soon, and I cannot wait until we're all back together again. Stay close to us, stay 
connected to what's happening here on social media and our website. We will post any changes to our current schedule there. You'll know as soon as we know when we're getting back to whatever normal looks like for us then. And until that time, my friends, stay rooted in the word, stay active in your faith, even though, even though we are hindered from gathering in one place, be reminded today that the gospel is not hindered, that your ministry is not hindered, and your growth in Christ is not hindered by a pandemic. In fact, I believe all of those things are being strengthened by this pandemic. That what the enemy intends for evil, God is actually using for good to grow our church, to strengthen our church, and to expand the reach of our church into our communities. And until we can gather again, I miss you guys. I'm praying for you. I love you, Newtown Road. We'll see you later.